welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Hillary, Amy, welcome to Confessions of a Crabby Christian. I'm so excited to have Mama Bear Apologetics in the house. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we love being here. So we were talking before we started recording that we're going like super light and fluffy on a Thursday afternoon. Like (laughs) just we're going very surface level. And anybody that's ever listened to the show knows that that's absolutely not what we're going to do. So (laughs) y'all's new book, Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality, Empowering Your Kids to Understand and Live Out God's Design. I'm really excited about this as a parent living in 2021. This will probably come out in 2022, but still, it's a scary topic in general right now, but especially as a parent. Tell us a little bit about like what brought y'all to the point of writing this book that's specifically like a like a trail guide to sexuality. Specifically writing this book, I'll, I'll just say through a series of events was really more of a calling that I couldn't get away from. It was a little bit of a Jonah situation to start out mm. from of me going, nope, 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 not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole. And uh, God finally basically coming down, crunch on my head and saying, <laughs> you're going to do this book. And so I said, pretty, please, Amy, please do this with me. I don't want to do this by myself. So, but it, it's really interesting how timely it is with all this stuff that's been going on. It's like, we've almost seen like trickles of stuff and then the tsunami hit us and everybody's left going, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Personally, I had kind of feared going into this topic just because people will get downright angry at you for talking about this topic. There is like a million and one ways that you can offend people, even things that you wouldn't even expect to be offensive have become offensive. And so like, I was just honestly afraid. And so I think a lot of times it's like the Lord took me through that stage of fear and through the wilderness and through the learning and all the stuff that the parents that we wrote uh, for what they're probably going to go through. And I was able to come out on the other side of this book feeling less afraid. And I realized, you know what? Fear a lot of times is just because we don't understand. There's so many things that are coming. There's a scientific perspective. There's a psychological perspective. There's sexual trauma perspective. There's the biblical perspective, theological. I mean, everything. And then you enter in this cool factor of what's going on with kids where even certain things are starting to be seen as cool. And so Mm -hmm. even if you didn't have all these other factors affecting it, just the fact that now they have role models that are deviating from God's design and being praised and being celebrated. And then parents are asking, oh my gosh, when when is this going to come clobber me? I've had so many parents talk about uh, maybe some of their college kids who have gone away. It's their freshman year away from school. And they say, I'm the only person who identifies as the gender they were born in. Mm-hmm. And as heterosexual, what, I'm one of three, mom, what do I do in, in my entire intro freshman class that I've met so far? Maybe there's others. I just haven't met them. And the stuff that we're seeing on cartoons, okay, Amy and I put something on the Mama Bear Facebook page just saying, 
hey, have you noticed any kind of LGBTQ stuff going on in cartoons? And within an hour, we had 150 responses. Absolutely. Um, so I would say just the writing of the book was just basically the Lord knew the tsunami was coming. He had to have, he needed to find two people that were dumb enough to touch it. <laughs> Well, you found a, a sister in that because I uh, regularly get shredded online for having this conversation. What's crazy is I think even if you don't like, quote unquote, keep up with politics, this is coming for you. Yes. This is impacting you. This is, this is permeating your life. Exactly what you said, like cartoons. I mean, I'm watching Muppet Babies with my four-year-old and she is very confused why Gonzo has a new name and mm-hmm. identifies as Gonzarella now and is wearing a dress. And I'm like, you're four. Why am I about to have to have a conversation about gender fluidity with you right now? Like, yep. this is insanity. And you're like, okay, well, you're never watching anything ever. <laughs> it's you and Veggie Tales for the rest of your life. Exactly. It's Veggie Tales <laughs> and like Scooby Doo, old yeah. Scooby Doo. Like, the old Scooby Doo. Like, the old Scooby Doo, not the new Scooby Doo. Okay. There's so much to cover in this conversation and I want to like do it justice because I want this to be, obviously I want people to buy your book because I think that that is, this is such an important conversation, but do you, have you experienced parents, especially I would think that aren't like living kind of super informed by what's going on in politics or like, just aren't like watching the news that think that like, oh, this isn't like coming for me. Like this isn't, I don't really need to worry about this yet. Like, because the reality is that it is. Amy, you want to start with that one? So I, I've met parents who say that, but it's not necessarily an obliviousness. It's kind of more they're desperately trying to speak it into existence. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, they're just like, oh no, it, again, it's that fear, right? Because these conversations, we don't want to have them with our four-year-old. We didn't have to have these conversations until we were adults. Right. And now, yes, thanks to cartoons. I mean, gosh, bubble guppies, blues clues, there's drag queens on bubble guppies now. I mean, yep. what is happening? And the whole purpose of that, again, I think it was it was exposed uh, perfectly when Sesame Street had their family day episode. They showed a homosexual couple uh, and their child and they're like, oh, your family likes to dance. So does ours. Your family likes to cook together. So does ours. It was very neutrally presented as, oh, this is just a form of the family, which, yes, in today's culture, this is a form of family. But the purpose behind that uh, was exposed by this psychologist who said, oh, this is so great to get it to kids at these young ages because they haven't been taught and they haven't absorbed the biases of their parents yet. And so they Mm. will just swallow it. And they were praising it like, oh, this is so good for kids to be just swallowing this down. And what they're really doing is exposing the ideology behind it of of the methodology of how they're doing it is, oh, this is great. Most Christian parents aren't talking about these subjects with their kiddos. And so their kiddos are just going to swallow it, not knowing what it is. It's going to grow. It's going to have those roots. So when Christian parents who typically don't start talking until their kids are in middle school, uh, high school, you know, you have that weekend away that the church youth right. groups usually do. When they start talking, the world has already been evangelizing their kids mm-hmm. from the time they were toddlers. So now they're not only having to compete with another ideology that has been taking root for the past upwards of nine years, they have to now jackhammer through that foundation and try to build a whole new biblical foundation on top of that. It's yeah. not impossible, but it's more difficult, especially when the world has already been there. So yeah, a lot of parents they, the biggest thing I hear from parents is they don't want their children to lose their innocence. And I, Mm. as a mom myself, I completely understand. I don't want my kids to lose their innocence, but I'm the only person who doesn't want that. 
the world is act. And that's one thing we as parents kind of have to accept. It's recognizing that it's not us adults that are in the battlefield. It's our kids that are in the battlefield too. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing we can do is have our kids not realize they're in the battlefield because then they're an easier target. They don't know how to wield that biblical armor that we're commanded to wield. And um, a verse I, I love pointing to is Deuteronomy 4.10, because when God called the Israelites at the base of Mount Horeb, after he had led them out of uh, slavery in Egypt, he gave them the command to teach his precepts unto his children. And that word teach is the Hebrew word lemad, which means training with the implication of putting it into use. Hmm. And this word lemad is used other, or other places in the Old Testament to refer to how the Israelites were to go into battle. It was a two-part process to where they were supposed to be in submission and prayer to God, and then with butt kicking. And yeah. that, and every time they did that, they were effective for God in battle. That's how we're supposed to be raising our kiddos. But so much of the church, I think even our generation, we weren't raised that way. Mm-hmm. And so we don't naturally raise our kids that way, but it's important for us to do that because again, the world does not have the biblical worldview, especially regarding sexuality. They're already coming after our kids. And so, yeah, this belief of, you know, oh, I don't, I don't really want to do this. I get that. But the world does. The world's already talking. We need to be there first. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that that psychologist just said like the quiet thing out loud yes. because the other, like, quote unquote, like, let's say the left, the other side mm-hmm. of this conversation, they want to make us feel like crazy conspiracy theorists. Yeah. They want to You're make a Trump supporter. Like, <laughs> right. Like, oh, they're coming for your kids. Like, we don't want your kids. Yes, you do. Like, Actually, you, know, you just released a video where you said you were coming for our kids. But... Oh, yeah. Wasn't that that <laughs> choir? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Like, oh, look, they said. Actually, when the thing about, you know, people wanting to make you sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist, one of the things that I was super thankful about was so there's the National Sex Education Standards, which sounds super official, but it's not. It's done by three <laughs> different groups. Advocates for Youth and Answers, which are basically three groups that have heavy ties to the abortion industry. But all the things that that they had a 2012 curriculum, now they have a 2020 curriculum. And all the things that conservatives were saying, no, this is what they're aiming for. They're aiming for sex positivity. They're aiming for, you know, kids trying on all these different gendered sexual identities and calling it normal. And they're like, you're just reading stuff into it. You're crazy conspiracy theorists. It actually stated in their guidelines now. And so you don't have to act like a crazy conspiracy theorist. You can look at what they wrote themselves. And I've talked to a woman who she used, she was a former educator, I think for Planned Parenthood, it was a technically for for Title IX. So Mm -hmm. she both taught for Planned Parenthood and she taught Planned Parenthood how to present these things. And she says, in every case, the parents were always presented as the barrier to the, the kids enemy. getting this information. 100%. Mm-hmm. And she said that was what they were taught. Parents are the barrier. And so this is coming from the horse's mouth, the person who was in charge of teaching this stuff. Well, and now like the federal government has labeled parents like domestic terrorists. Domestic terrorists. I know, right? It's, in, it's insanity. And like you, Amy, explained it so perfectly that because we're like in our attempt to protect our kids, we're basically handing them over to be taught whatever the world wants to teach them. And in the pursuit, we think we're protecting their innocence. And I know that this episode is like already so far from what we typically discuss on the podcast. I usually talk about this stuff over on the Instagram, but this is so important. And I would love for y'all to explain why this is so important, because what happens when we let the, like what actually happens when we let the world 
teach our kids about sexuality and about gender and about identity. There's a quote from a book that I used by a psychologist. I think it's David Kahneman, but it's called Thinking Fast and Slow. And he has a quote in his book that talks about how the human mind has a difficult time distinguishing between that which is familiar and that which is true. And Mm. so this is something that we know that advertisers have, you know, they've known this forever, you know, because if you want something, it's repetition, repetition, repetition. So what we see is the actual concerted effort on a bunch of different people's parts for that repetition. And um, what what are they trying to repeat, which is normalization. Kids have a have a tendency to think of something's normal than it's moral. I mean, you sometimes mm. go into third world countries where kids are li- living in the brothels. I don't know if you ever saw this uh, documentary called Born into Brothels. It was uh, released by like back in the early 2000s. And these kids, because it was normal for them to be laying in their own feces, they just, you know, not that big of a deal. I just try to push it away. You know, sometimes I name the rats. That was what, what was normal to them. And so it's like kids absorb from their surroundings what normal is supposed to look like. And so when we have in the cartoons, the media, the music, the teachers, the peers, the social media, everything saying the same thing that normal could be identifying as the opposite gender or or normal could be having two dads or two moms or two moms and a dad. Now we're Mm -hmm. getting into polyamory, trying to Mm -hmm. present those as normal as well. This normalization, repetition and Another one, which I call the demoralization, which is where you actually retrain someone to what to think is moral. Like you take something that you want to do and you reframe it as the moral thing to do. So now they not only aren't being taught that certain things are against God's design, but if you want to love like Jesus loved, you have to celebrate this person just like everybody else. And that's how Jesus would be loving too. So Mm. it's this multi-pronged approach that we're having to, that if you're waiting again till middle school to start talking with your kids about this, this is the entire foundation they are currently building, even if they're not talking about it with you. Well, and what's crazy is that what you just said about like the normalizing, talking about like the normalization and that getting into their brains and making them believe that not only is that normal, it's expected. Mm-hmm. There, there are statistics out there, if we're talking specifically about like transsexuality and gender identity, there are studies, the percentage of like kids when they believe that they are identifying as the opposite gender and they are not put on puberty blockers and they are not given surgery. It's something like 96% get into their teen and twenties and do a 180. Deborah So talked about this in her book, The End of Gender. She's an interesting ally because I love her stuff for gender. She is unapologetically sex positive, which uh, we might a little bit later. That was one of the chapters that Amy contributed a lot to, but she's very traditional when it comes to gender. And I think it was somewhere between 60, um, 60 to 90% mm-hmm. will desist if they yes. are not affirmed, if they get the counseling that helps them come to terms with their biological gender. It was like something like 60, 90%. I think there was 11 a longitudinal studies, which she had all 11 of those in her footnotes. So we, we linked to those from the, the, from our book as well. All 11 of them show kind of the same thing that uh, children will naturally desist, meaning they will say, okay, I am am comfortable in my own gender. I come to basically accept reality, but kids who are affirmed in their transgender identity, that if they persist into adolescence, they are more than likely to persist into adulthood, which means all our statistics on this are about to change. And it's basically kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now there's always been a small percentage who just 
always saw themselves differently. And I would kind of almost categorize this group as a, there's some different issue that's going on mm-hmm. here. But yeah. starting around 2018, I think it was, it was like a 4,500% increase in juvenile girls starting to come up. And they, they actually gave it a term of rapid onset gender dysphoria, saying that this came out of nowhere. They didn't have it when they were children. And they suddenly are just fleeing femininity, like Abigail Schreier says, Mm. fleeing femininity like a house on fire. They're not even fixed on a destination. They just know I don't want to be here. So yeah, anyway, I was just marking on the statistics you're talking about. Yeah. And I think it's something close to zero when they, when they're affirmed in that, when they are affirmed, when they're put on the puberty blockers and move forward that way, the spectrum is close to zero of people who decide that they do identify with their, their biological gender. Mm -hmm. And I think this is just like on a very basic, like non-scientific data viewpoint. I was a very tomboy kid. Very. Like I didn't learn how to wear makeup until I was like in college. I was just one of the boys kind of still am like one of the boys. And I think back to if I had had different parents than I had, like, because we're watching in the media, we're watching parents celebrate that mm-hmm. and like pick up on it and like be like, oh, well, then you're a boy. And the same vice versa. More mm-hmm. feminine boys are having parents like grab that up. The thing that it comes down to right now, and this is, I don't know if you know who Ryan T. Anderson is. He is the one who wrote the book When Harry Became Sally, which Amazon just dropped out of nowhere. Yes. yes. Uh, so I read his book and then I, friend Elisa had him on her book club. So I just kind of came on to listen to it. And one of the things that he was talking about with that is this emphasis on gender stereotypes. And this is also what you Mm. see in something called the gender bred person. There's the gender unicorn. There's all sorts of things. There's the gender elephant, which I don't know why they picked that. So it's to teach kids about sex and gender. And one of the things that it talks about is it it gives these really narrow, rigid stereotypes of what is more maleness (laughs) and what is more femaleness. And it makes that the absolute. So instead of having, instead of being a boy and a girl and having this range of expression, they have this range of expression and you have to define where you are on this range of expression, which then tells you what gender you are. It's so backwards. And it's so, I mean, like, have we, has feminism not gotten us anywhere that it's like, you know, saying- Where are the feminists? (laughs) There's something called TERFs. It's called trans-exclusive radical feminists and they're called TERFs. And a lot of times- I've been called a TERF. Yeah. That's where you're seeing some kind of schism and division within uh, kind of the left ideology here is that they're, they're saying what, what no one else is willing to say is if you define away a woman, then we can't have feminism, period. But it's really interesting. If you look at some of the early works by like Judith Butler, she was actually fine with that conclusion. She was yep. actually fine with getting, getting away from these genders altogether. They, they were so confining that she was just, yeah, get rid of it all. She used feminism while it worked in this form, but she actually foresaw it taking on this other form and she was okay with it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Don't get started on like the authors of the transsexual movement because that is a deep, dark hole that Mm. is, it is dark. And I would said don't, but I would encourage parents like look into the roots of this movement and tell me they're not coming for your kids because they are. What books would you recommend if you were to say- See, I haven't read a lot of books. I've like listened to a lot of a lot of teachers on queer theory and mm-hmm. watched what they are perpetuating. Yeah. And 
I mean, the reality is that it almost all has roots in pedophilia. It's, it's, it is, yeah. It, you look at all of them, they all kind of mention Kinsey. Who's the guy? Um, Kinsey. In, that's, yeah. In your sex positivity. What was his name? Alfred Kinsey. No, no, the other one. Oh, the other one. Oh, uh, the sexual revolution. Uh, Wilhelm Reich. Wilhelm yep. Reich. Yeah. It does. Yes. I mean, that just sounds like an ominous name itself. I'm just <laughs> going to say. And then Judith Butler, and then you have Michael Foucault. And yep. so I, I, I was going through the Michael Foucault stuff, or I'm sorry, Michelle Foucault. <laughs> it's kind of spelled similar. And even seeing some of the stuff that I'm not even sure if Michelle Foucault, I think that's a man, but I, I could be wrong. They're French. Some of the books and some of the, the stuff that they were using in their book. And it like what, like you said, it was dark. It put me into kind of a, I, I ended up doing the rest of my research at our church because it was so depressing and I could just feel the darkness around it. So the pastors would be walking by. I'm like, would you pray for me as I'm yeah. sitting here reading this stuff? There's a YouTube video and it's queer theory jeopardy. Uh-huh. And it's this professor standing up against his class because the class is like yelling back at him. And he's all of these people that you've named, Kinsey Foucault, mm-hmm. he's Butler. Okay, what do they believe about this? Mm-hmm. And these these college kids are having the answer that they like these people, all of these teachers, their goal was to normalize pedophilia, to normalize adult child relationships. People don't know that that's the like, and, and I, we're going to get hell for saying that, but like the reality is, is that this, that's where this movement's roots are. So you can't know those things and not believe that they are coming to your kids. So before we go, just spend the whole time talking about how bad things are. Let's talk about how we can make them better because that's yes. the whole point and heart behind your book. And I say this in a lot of my interviews, but really with this one, like get, get the book. This interview is not, this interview is great. It's not going to be enough to equip you for the battle that you're facing, but what are some practical ways that we can like get in it and be in it and teach our kids that it's okay to like, hold different beliefs than everybody around you and believe that you are the gender that you were born. Like how, where do you even start? Again, there's, there's lots of components because it's different for each age and stage. The first part is the importance of helping your children understand the existence of truth. If you don't start off with truth, everything you say is just your other opinion. You have your truth. She has his truth. That's what the world is banking on right now is just the sexual relativism. So the most important thing is to start your kids off understanding truth. We could have a whole podcast just on each of these subjects. Yes, so I'm just going to summarize really Absolutely. quickly and That's say definitely like, get, get the, the book. book. <laughs> I know. So we start off with truth. Second, the next best thing we need to do is help our kids understand that what we do with our bodies is actually a communication of our worldview. Yes. So when you look like when um, there was a previous question that you had asked about, like, how are we seeing this in culture? And Hillary answered it beautifully with sort of how things are going a terrible blueprint to see this because the world has actually taken this as a blueprint and it was meant as a warning. It's Romans 1, 18 through 32. It talks about that the people knew what God wanted and knew God's design, but they turned away from it. And instead, when you turn away from God, it's not like this vacuum goes away. You have to fill it with something. You have to fill it with a new God. And so what did the people do? They set up idols of beasts and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so once they do that, they were given over to the warped desires and appetites, which led into complete sexual degradation. And then that further led to the encouragement of others to engage in this behavior, which is exactly what we're seeing in culture. Culture has completely turned its back on the biblical design, which I I would argue that it's always been the case. Yes, that's always been the case. It's just up through the 80s and even the early 90s. 
the biblical and the secular worldview were looked fairly similar. It was a guy mm-hmm. and a girl. Well, then we started seeing these shifts on like shows like Friends, Will and Grace, that sort of thing. And it's just utterly spiraled. And um, I feel like just in the last few years, it's been at warp. The last few years. It's popular. Yes. It's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's gotten that whole label of, oh, this is the new thing that we have to champion. This is the newest victim that we have to uplift. This is the Mm -hmm. newest wrong we have to write, you know? So it's really picked up on popularity. And so we're seeing this perpetuated in culture. Disney kids that, you know, actors and things that our kids have grown up watching are now adults and encouraging them like Demi Lovato. She said, let's be sluts, go make porn, make money off porn. You know, these are people they've grown up watching. So again, a huge thing that we can do is help our kids understand they're not just seeing these individual little actions. These are actually a communication of a worldview and helping them understand, okay, wait a second. What is this worldview actually saying? about truth, morality, your value as a human being, your dignity, because again, all of this is lost in any sort of secular sexual expression. And so that's huge for kids is to recognize it because once they do, right, they start seeing it like the matrix. They start recognizing it everywhere. It starts Mm -hmm. sharpening and honing their truth radar, their morality radar that's eventually Mm -hmm. getting desensitized. And they're like, wait a second, what you just said, that doesn't quite make sense. You're not actually going to achieve what you're seeking. Mm -hmm. And So exposing them to the ideology behind each of these movements is absolutely huge because then they'll recognize like with sex positivity, their moral guidelines are consent and pleasure. Can you explain what sex positivity is for people that don't know before we go into it? Yeah. Sex positivity. It's not really a new movement. It's just been rebranded to look cooler. Cause I mean, that's (laughs) what you do, right? That's why mom jeans are back in style. Um, (laughs) Sex positivity is basically this movement that any sort of sexual expression is good, should be endorsed and encouraged and advocated. And then it's healthy. They call it healthy or safer. They'll throw that in just to give themselves kind of like on those commercials where they're like, it's 99% effective. Like they got to give that little wiggle, wiggle room. That's what the word safer does. So basically the only way to be sex negative is to believe in heterosexual monogamous marriage within sex. That is the only way to be sex negative. You can find sex positivity on everything from your menstrual tracking apps. If ladies, if you have these on your phones, like flow, there are articles on there that'll pop up to help encourage you to be sex positive. So it reframes sexual promiscuity to be something that's attractive. This is how you develop. This is a healthy Mm -hmm. practice, you know, oh, make sure you get checkups, you know, because you're, you might be more likely, you know, to get STDs or uh, there were even articles within Teen Vogue that said, well, you know, girls, if, if, as you start to sleep around, you may find emotionally, it's a little hard, but you know, after a while you'll get used to it. It's like, wait, what? Like, this is not something we should be encouraging to kids, but this is being advocated. Got to practice being emotionally detached. and Exactly. exactly. (laughs) And you actually, to be sex positive means that you actually are not supposed to have any negative feelings toward anyone else's sexual behavior. So Mm -hmm. if you have a friend who is on Tinder, just doing hookup after hookup after hookup with random strangers. And you say, um, that might not be a good thing to do. You're being sex negative. Yep. So it's the active work okay. of not only endorsing sin, but silencing the Holy spirit. And mm. people don't realize that because again, when they just look at the label and they see the words sex positivity, well, that sounds good, right? Everything wants it, to be positive. I have the app that you're talking about and I don't like spend my time reading articles on my period tracker app. <laughs> Thank you. Why I, do they even make all why, these articles? I don't know why that's a thing, but I have seen that title and it's brilliant branding because it, it comes across as like how, like body positivity, right? Of like yes. how to be more confident or more mm-hmm. comfortable in a yeah. healthy way. Like, but that's not what it is. Mm-mm. 
No, statistically speaking, it's not healthy at all. No, it's not. The only unhealthy thing is not getting regular checkups to see which disease you just picked up. Yeah. And you should Uh, definitely use condoms. Oh, yeah. And condoms. Yes. Grossman's book, um, Unprotected. Oh, Unprotected. Uh, Yes. It's got the the greatest uh, subtitle ever. It's like, you know, how the new agenda is preventing a psychologist from protecting every student. Or I can't remember what what the subtitle is, but she's basically um, a psychologist at a college. Mm -hmm. And she was starting to see all the dangers from hookup culture. And Ooh. nobody was talking about any of it. It's like they weren't talking about just um, the increase in suic- suicidal ideations, suicide risk, among, especially among girls, the more sexual partners they have. And so I think the sex positivity thing, it's like they're getting something exactly backwards, which is if you look at almost any kind of sexual activity that is outside of God's design, you're going to see an uptick in suicidal ideation anxiety, depression, and actual suicide completion of, you know, attempting and, and being successful at, at suicide. And drugs and alcohol use too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Drugs and alcohol use. And what is assumed is, oh, it's because of the negative perceptions that people have about this. If people would stop having these negative perceptions, then people would feel loved and accepted and able to do what they're, they want to do. But if you look at it in the opposite way, we can't, it's like, we're not allowed to say, hey, maybe it's some of these actions that are causing anxiety, that are causing right. depression, that are causing people to feel worthless because they're treating their body as if it's worthless. Right. Um, they refuse to look at the other side for what, you know, conservative Christians have been saying and instead making our message the one that is actually causing the suicide, causing right. the depression and causing the anxiety. And what's difficult about that part of the conversation is that, yes, like that movement is getting it wrong. But unfortunately, we also see the church get it wrong in this conversation as well, where like I have experience and have friends who have experience of not feeling welcome within the church because you did take part in hookup culture, completely missing the mark on that. Like you're like, once you are in Christ, like that stuff, like, yes, it was like, we're unwilling. It's like one side's unwilling to call it sin. And the other is unwilling to say, you're good. Like you're good. It doesn't identify you with that. You're cleansed. It doesn't define you. And so I think like, that's what's so difficult, especially as a Christian is trying to bridge this gap between culture is getting it so wrong. And then you see Christians getting it wrong. And you're like, okay, like, where's the grace in that part of the conversation for like, like it's attractive culture has been shoving it down your throat your whole life I I understand why you took part in that let me show you the better way let me show you what God's design is because there's grace and there's redemption for all of that like let's look at what Jesus has to say about it I would say that Amy and I are both very critical of both secular culture, but we're also very, very critical on the church and how they've responded. In fact, Amy has an entire chapter just on purity culture in the kind of subtitle of what, like what the church tried to do and what went wrong with it, how basically how it blew up in her face. I don't know if I'm allowed to like speak this into existence. So I have one chapter in my book that comes out next year on purity culture. And I would really love to write a whole book on it because so jacked up. Like it's like <laughs> culture is getting secular culture is getting so much wrong, but like, let's not act like we didn't get anything wrong either yeah. because we screwed up our own generation. Like we yes. did our own damage the other way. So I definitely want to finish by giving parents hope and like giving them, like, I don't want them to just feel inundated by how bad things are because I think that it is important to be aware of how bad things are and 
how much you need to be involved in this, but how can we be like spiritually protecting our kids, our families, like other people's kids that we love? Like, what are some ways that we can be involved in that part of it? So if I can, if I can chime in with, cause I, I, I get the vibe that you're kind of on the same length, like you love statistics and things. So one thing I, I think is important, I know it's so <laughs> great to have these. So they did a really great study on who had the most influence on their child's decision-making when it came to sexuality. And it was really fascinating because they pulled all of these teens together and they broke them up into different age groups. So the first one was the group of 12 to 15 year olds. And they pulled them and they said, okay, between parents, social media, your friends, entertainment industry, who has the most influence on your decision-making? And for 12 to 15 year olds, 54% of them said mom and dad. Friends, I know, right? Wait, this gets so much better. So friends, you know, they maybe ranged in the 20%. Social media only had about 10%. So 12 to 15, these are huge formative years. So yeah. all the middle school years, 54% kids said mom and dad. So 16 to 19 year olds, they looked at again, gave the same categories, parents, friends, social media slash entertainment industry, who has the most influence? Parents won out again. Now the numbers went down a little bit. 32% said parents won. Friends were a close second, right? And then you had social media. It wasn't That's so until- encouraging though. Okay. So this, yeah. And it's fantastic because they also pulled- College students, college students. Okay. Friends took the first place when it came to college students. Right. But parents were a close second. Now the sad part about this poll. So this poll, they asked the kids, then they went and asked the parents, Hey parents, do you think your kids are listening? And are you talking to your kids? Parents said, Nope. And they're not talking. The Mm. kids are statistically wanting to hear from mom and dad. From 12 years old to 19 years old, mom and dad, you are number one influence in their lives. That like makes me want to cry. That's amazing. It's it's so wonderful. And what's so sad is parents don't think their kids are listening because honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with how the media and TV shows present kid-parent relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Parents are always overbearing. The kids are always rolling their eyes and not listening. Yes, your kids may roll their eyes. Yes, they may have iPods in half the time that you got to pluck out their ear, but they still want to know what mom and dad are saying. So this is so encouraging to us parents. Your kids want you to know, to speak to them. And yes, it may be awkward. I mean, you have to say penis and vagina in front of your children. Okay. <laughs> exactly. You know what? It, you got to be willing to do it at the dinner table because right. it's going to happen. So I think it's so encouraging. Your kids are listening. They want to know. And kids naturally want to know answers to questions. So of course, relativism, postmodernism is really popular among youth today. Mm-hmm. But what's mm-hmm. also really popular is them asking questions. They want to understand they're not stupid. They can recognize logical contradictions. So expose your kids to the biblical worldview and start giving a balanced presentation. Again, we we really strive to do this at Mama Bear is look, we're going to look, that's part of our ROAR method. We're Mm going to look at both sides. We're going to say, okay, here is a fair presentation of exactly what they're saying. Now let's compare it to the biblical standard. Wait a second, where are their problems? Where are their inconsistencies? Mm -hmm. Why doesn't the sexual worldview meet the promises that they claim? And help your kids practice critical thinking. I mean, C.S. Lewis, uh, the professor in Chronicles of Narnia, bemoaned the fact that children aren't taught logic anymore. They still aren't, but kids are still capable of learning it. And they're very quick to do it from very young ages. So I would say biggest encouragement to moms and dads, there's resources out there. Yes, you're in the battlefield. There's plenty of resources out there for you to equip you, to make it accessible for you. Your kids want to hear what you have to say, and they are capable of understanding, recognizing, and advocating for truth. 
And honestly, truth is what gives us boldness. So yes, Jesus was so fantastic because he is the truth and he was Mm -hmm. able to talk and to love and to cherish people, but to still speak truth to them. Mm -hmm. And you know what? They may not be received by their parents. They may get a little pushback from the world, but that's when we got to look at our little babies and say, honey, you weren't made for this world anyways. It's okay. Mm Amen. Amen. That's that's my contribution. (laughs) I love that because as I am a Christian parent who is involved in their kids' lives, but I think you're like the media spins it that our kids aren't listening to us. Mm -hmm. And like, is that not just one more like cog in their plan? Like yeah. if they can convince parents, they're trying to speak that into existence. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Like if they're convincing, convincing you that your kids aren't listening, then you're not going to waste your time. Well, yep. and kids are also buying into the lie that mom doesn't care about them or mom doesn't exactly. think or mom's just the create, like how are Christians portrayed in culture, right? right. We're either right. crazy psychos or we're just oblivious, you know, bumbling virgins. So right. it's like, we need to also be debunking that sort of caricature myth out there that says, no, honey, I'm a, I'm a Christian mom, but I'm not like those Christian moms that you see on the TV. We're going to have these conversations. You can ask me whatever you want. Any, well, maybe not anytime you want, because, you know, sometimes kids are <laughs> not great. in Target, not, not yeah. now, at the grocery store. <laughs> exactly. Super awkward questions at really inappropriate times. That's where you say, yeah. great, great question. Let's put a pin in it until we get out of earshot of grandma, you know? Yes, um, Exactly. And yeah, just helping your kids understand that you are a source. It's not only going to, I've noticed this with my kids. It doesn't just stop with them. Their friends start recognizing that my kids have answers. And I've actually had their friends in my car and they say, Hey, Miss Amy, you're a religious lady. What do you think about this? And they start asking me questions because they know that from my son, okay, wait, she's going to answer. Oh, she's going to, you know, maybe tell a joke. She doesn't care what we say. She'll answer it. They love that. Then kids, it's it's a great ripple effect. Yep. On top of what Amy said uh, about just the fact that kids are listening and they actually do care what their parents have to say, there's a psychological principle that I've yet to find someone who can tell me what it's called because I know it's got to have a name. So I've just been calling it the founder's principle. But I've experienced this in my own life that the first person to teach you about a topic automatically becomes the expert in your Mm. mind. And so like I've had this, you know, just with uh, different science topics and different other things that I've learned. I remember exactly who it was that first made me aware of a topic. One of our colleagues, her name's Elisa, did this with her daughter where she wanted to know what her daughter knew about homosexuality. And it was maybe when her daughter was maybe 10 or so, but this was a while, a while ago and found out what she knew and, you know, kind of gave her a real summary of uh, kind of what's going on there, you know, not in God's design and what else have you heard? Anytime you want to come talk to me about this, talk to me about it. And to this day, her daughter comes to her with all those questions Mm -hmm. because she established herself as the authority in their life. And then secondly, there is power in something. I I call it the power of a good maxim. And that's basically saying stuff to your kids until they want to gag. And there was a, my cousin had a friend, it started with my cousin. My cousin says to her daughter, every time she leaves the house, have a good time. Don't take off your clothes. And that's just like her parting words, which I thought were hilarious. She had another mom friend who every time when their kids would leave, she'd say, have fun. Don't have sex till you're married. And one of the kids came home from college as like a junior or whatever, that was a friend of one of her, one of her sons, because she would say it, whether it was her son or him and all his friends and thanked her for being the only person who would say that to them. So I just want to say like, uh, you know, that going along with Amy's where their kids will get in her car and ask her questions. The parents who are talking about this stuff, the friends pick up on it and they're actually listening. And when you make it something stupid, like you say it every time they leave or you've said it just a million billion times and they're sick of it, it burrows into their brain and it's harder to lose the mono. So 
Go that ahead. Is so good. Be talking. <laughs> I love that. I love, well, yeah. I'm like tucking that away. My kids are not old enough that I need to say that to them now at seven and four, but it's not far away that you're having to tell your daughters. We give about 13 things. So things like things you can say to your daughter when she's four, what you do with your body matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Stuff like that. Oh, there are definitely conversations to be had mm-hmm. and being involved in your kids' lives. Like the fact that I was sitting next to her on the couch watching Muppet Babies and being able to say, ha- be a part of the conversation about Gonzo and what's going on. Like we're just, we go, we have to tap in. Like we as parents have to tap in. Y'all, I could like talk to y'all for the next hour. I love this. Y'all are so like jam-packed with so much knowledge and information. I'm sure the people can get your book wherever they get books it's Mm. out so get this book where can people find and keep up with you on like social media and online so social media we are on twitter we're on facebook we're on instagram i would say i usually stay off twitter amy's the only one of us brave enough to uh (laughs) keep that presence on twitter but um i usually answer stuff for instagram one of our other girls a lot of times answers questions that come on Facebook. And so, yeah, uh, just the main ones. We have not yet done TikTok. I don't know if we're ever going to do TikTok. I don't need a fourth mm-hmm. one in my life, but no. if we get someone that joins the team that like feels passionately about that, then maybe we'll start. Yeah. I can only do Instagram. So y'all are yep. even better than I am. And then uh, even uh, just our website, mamabearapologetics.com. And it's spelled M-A-M-A, like the sign behind me. We've gotten yep. all sorts of weird spellings of mama. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, especially when you start getting Southerners involved, there's like an O in there, multiple M's. It's yes. yeah, it's a whole thing. Thank you all so much. This is such a like edifying and encouraging conversation. Absolutely. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you for having us. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.